Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Art As Well. This is episode 46, I think it is, 46. And I'm delighted this morning to have a special guest, uh, Paul McCormick, with us. Now, Paul hails from uh, Finglas. And the reason I got to know Paul was because I received uh, a catalogue from his latest exhibition. And I was very taken with it. I hadn't heard of Paul. And uh, it's a fine production, which he produced himself. And it's called Food Fight. And I think it's, it's only finished... Um, about a week ago, uh, it was held in the Seamus Ennis Art Centre, um, but I'm sure you can still view some of the, the work. And um, by way of introduction to Paul, um, I think Robert Balla puts it very succinctly in, in his opening words in this catalogue. And he says, Paul McCormick is an artist whose pictures have always had a story to tell. And over the years, he has developed a visual language that is readily accessible by the general public. You would think that such a skill might provide an easy path to success and recognition, but alas, no. The mandarins who make the most crucial decisions in the art world today are ruled by an entirely different criteria. Um, it's curious how these various skills and manual dexterity and beauty, which in the past were characteristics in judging art, have now been downgraded by most mainstream connoisseurs in favor of innovation. Um, nevertheless, in spite of such partiality, Paul continues to make pictures that have something to say, and the theme of his current exhibition couldn't be more relevant. In today's consumer society, we seem to have become obsessed with food. Over half the content on TV appears to be cooking programs, while at the same time, there is an obesity crisis. Um, so the point is, you know, A, um, I, I mean, I, I love Paul's work because it's realism, and it does tell a story. And equally, there's a great sense of humour in it as well. Uh, which I also enjoy. And it's, again, another thing um, Robert mentions in his, his intro, um, that a lot of art lacks a degree of sense of humour. And I think there's a place for that, and, and, and it should always be there. So I'm delighted to welcome Paul. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. Good. Not at all. I see you got your tea before I did this morning. Uh, yes. Which is a very, yes. sort of great annoyance to me. <laughs> However, I'm sure... Shot of, uh -huh. shot of caffeine for today. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've had that. I just got a tea afterwards. Anyway, listen, you're very welcome. And, and thanks for joining us this morning. So you're in your studio at the moment, are you? I am indeed, yes. Okay. Would you like to give us a quick spin around? Okay, I'll talk you through. I'm going to have to change the camera around. Yeah, that's um, fine. So bear with me while I do that. Sure thing. Okay, there we go. Now, yeah. it's a very small studio. In fact, I only found out how small it is. Yesterday, in preparation for this um, show, I've been living here 17 years. This is my home in Kilbarrack. Yes. And um, I thought it was bigger than this. I, I knew it was about 10. I thought it was 10 by 13. It's actually 10 by 10. Three meters square. Anyway, very small. Yeah. So anyway, there's um, a shelf with a lot of stu different stuff on it. that I, I made it from scrap. It's actually made from pallets and uh, boards I got from... Um, skips yes and i really believe in recycling the stuff and then there's you every artist needs a sink there's mm -hmm. the sink with stuff um uh, a music, music system and uh radio uh radio cassette and cds mm. so do, um, do you listen to so music paul paul do you listen to music do you listen I to do, music yeah, when you're working i do indeed I, I love doing it but this time of the day i listen to talk radio because there is one after the other, there's a, some really good programs on RTE. Um, one, which I like, and just keeps me up to date with stuff. But then as soon as I hate sport, 
So as soon as the sport comes on at two, it's over to the um the the, the music collection. Yeah, yeah. So um, I teach, and the the expression "don't do as I do, do as I say" really comes home here because my studio is a disgrace. It makes Alan. It makes um, what's his name? Uh, well, who's the the really untidy artist? Francis Bacon. Well, Francis Bacon. It yeah. His studio look tidy. But there's some packaging, see, uh, packaging material for stuff when it goes down the country. There's in the corner. There's a roll of unused canvases. Old friends. Mm-hmm. I can't say no to anything. Anybody says, "Here, do you want a frame? Do you want this?" I'm throwing it. I just say no, and it ends up as junk in my studio. There's yes. a, a painting I'm working on at the moment, and some other ones. Now I'm working on this. Just show you here. I'm working on a portrait for the Zuri. That's it there. I'm keeping it. Uh, the subject secret for the moment, uh, mm-hmm. just in case it doesn't work out. And there's one of my icons that I didn't get finished for the um, the show with the icons, but it will be in. I'm the, I'm having a second show of the icons down in uh, Tinahili Art Centre next year. So that's that. And then there's another shelf with stuff on it. Now this is. Um, I'll just show you how I work. I am. Um, I have all these sketch pads that uh, I have over the years. There's a pile of them there. Mm. And I have uh, an archive of of uh, cuttings from, from magazines and stuff like that. And they often form the basis. Now, they didn't form the basis of food. For, actually, they did. Um, they did form the basis of some of did form the basis of food fight. And just there's my overalls, which I never wear and as a, like a should. I often come into the studio. So they're just for show, are they? I'll tell you what, there's, I do use them. There's the, the back garden and my house down the other end of the, the back garden. Yes. So it's just a small window. It's about a metre 20 by a metre 24. And then uh, another shelf that I made also using, um, uh, what do you call it? Pallets. Uh, pallets, yeah. And mm. a test. I got a new set of watercolours a while ago. I did a test on the, on the colours just to see how they behave. Mm-hmm. And um, then there's my paints. I keep my oils separate from the acrylics, and uh, and that's it, really. And it's a small studio. The tour was never yeah. going to be big. I'll put you back to me now. Oh yeah. So it was never going to be a long tour. <laughs> no, I know that. I know that. But you have another room beside you there that that you have all your sort of canvases and bits of yeah, and, and 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 your your uh, lawnmower, I think. Carpentry tools and lawnmower. It's more of a that's more of a normal shed, but I do do a lot of my own uh, carpentry. So um, the tools are there and the timber is there as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, in a space like that, you have to be very inventive and creative, and you know, you obviously got oh, yeah, everything I to hand. You don't have to move around. Yeah. Again, everything is within arm's reach, and yeah. I think if I had a bigger studio, I'd just fill it with more junk. So that's know, it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay. Listen, let's let's, let's let's learn a little bit about Paul and um, how you started with with art and your interest in art. Does that go back to your childhood? It does, actually. Um, I think it must, it must with all artists. But when I was a child, I think all children love drawing, but and, and see it. Uh, but then some it just falls by the wayside with some kids and they stop drawing. But for me, I always thought it was very important to me. I just liked art and I was good at it, and it would get me a lot of compliments. So when I was a kid in school, in primary school, I was just known as a good drawer. Mm. That was the uh, the expression then. And um, 
I would, it, my school teacher recognized Mr. Henry, um, and he, uh, I would get off and get off, uh, skip off the more chore type work and prepare the Christmas, maybe prepare the Christmas uh, decorations or make the crib or paint a a background scene for a drama or something like a, stu- a stage set or something like that. So it got me off uh, a little bit of work as well, doing maths or whatever. So, and then in, um, Post-primary school, I went to a school, Patrician College in Fingers, now closed, and it was an academic kind of school. There was the tech down one road, the, the vocational school, which is still open. Mm-hmm. And then was, and we were expected to do all the more um, academic work. We, I was in the A class, you expected to do Latin and history and science and chemistry and all that, which I did do. But I kept up the art anyway as an extra. We, so I did it as an extra. So, so I didn't have a teacher. But I, I managed to get a C in higher level, considering that I didn't have a teacher guiding me away and along and telling me what the past papers were and how to approach the papers. Mm. And then um, in 1979, I actually got accepted into uh, NCAD uh, with my portfolio. I was the envy of all my classmates because they tell you, you they tell you you've got in long before you do the leaving cert. There's all my classmates all worried about the point system and everything like that. And I had my shoe in the door already of NCTA. All you had to get was three Ds in your leaving cert and you're in. Mm. And uh, but unfortunately, uh, my father uh, objected to it. He uh, he saw um, he didn't think being an artist was a proper way of life and all that. And I had I had been offered a job in the PNT as it was called at the time now. Air, if there's young people watching, Air, the company that supplies, you know, telephones and all, they've gone through a number of morphs over there. So Air used to be Aircom, and before that they were Telecom Air and Semi State, and before that they were the Department of Post and Telegraph, mm. a, a, a branch of the civil service. So I got a job with them. It was a job for life, pensionable, permanent pensionable job, and all that. And um, so I worked with them and I raised a family through the 80s, which uh, it was great having a, a steady income when all around me, like the 80s was um, a bit like the recession we've just um, gone through, um, was a, a recession uh, and lots of factories closed. And so there was me with a government job and all that. But yeah. what I, I managed to do was keep up the painting. I had uh, exhibitions, I had a one-man exhibition and contributed to, um, got into a couple of uh, um you know, group exhibitions, which yeah. have fallen by the way. So there used to be the independent artists and then there was the Irish exhibition of living art. And there was a couple of o- other ones. And um, so then I actually, in 2001, I got the j- opportunity to take voluntary redundancy from Aircom, which I grabbed with both hands. And I then uh, went, used the money to go to UCD and study history of art. Mm-hmm. Now, when I came out of UCD, there was an opportunity to go to IADT in Dunlaira. There was um, a one-year, what, what happened there was they were changing their three-year ordinary degree to a four-year um, honours degree, and they were, they, had accept, they were accepting outside people for that final year. So since I already had a degree from UCD, I was, exe- I was exempt from the first three years. So I got in there oh, and yeah. uh, got myself uh, a degree in in uh, fine art and it was a very happy year there, a very productive year in IADT and then um, that was it when, when I, I left IADT I was just uh, I was just on the dole and uh, painting away uh, and entering all the competitions and networking and everything like that 
And uh, they were very happy years. I was perfectly happy on the dollar. I can live quite well on 200 euros a week. And the freedom it had and the, the things you can... A lot of things that are arranged for artists are arranged uh, during working hours. So if you have a, a full-time job, you just can't attend. Mm. So anyway, those years were great. And then um, I just decided after six or seven years of it that, you know, it hadn't really worked out commercially. I've morally and... Uh, otherwise, I felt I couldn't keep being on the dole saying I was available for full time work when I wasn't. And then, uh, and it, it means six years, it, I, I wasn't really making any money at it. And I had to say, well, am I, you know, is this really for me as a, for, as a way of making a living now, as a way of creating something? It, it always was and still is for me, but as a f- way of making a living. So again, I went. Uh, I trained as a, a teacher. I did the H-dip in NCAD. I was one of the last people to do the one-year H-dip. It is now a two-year master's. And that was and, 2006, uh, I, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes. No, no. Uh, I was in IADT in 2006. Oh, no, it was, oh. it was much more recent than that. It oh. was 2013 to 2014. Okay. So I graduated there in 2014. And I got a job as a part-time teacher since then. That's the way I've been since then. I'm a part-time um, school teacher mm. and an art part-time artist, you could say, really. Yeah. Do you enjoy teaching? I do, actually. Now, the only thing is, it really, I like the school, I like the kids, and you get, you often, you, you know, you hear, you, you learn about the, the latest things and the latest songs and all that from the kids, long before they would hit the well, there's no such thing as Top of the Pops anymore anyway, but long before I'd ever, I'd probably never get to hear them if it wasn't for the students. The only thing is, Alan, it is tiring. I yeah. come home every evening and even though you finish work at four and then I get home at five, which is a lot. I have a next door neighbor and she's seven to half seven. That's her day. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm just too tired to go out to the, there's a bit of daylight and all now between five and ten, you know, nine. Yeah. Just too tired. So it is tiring. So um I'm doing job share next year because it's just uh and I can so I can really only paint at the weekends uh, yeah. and uh, and holidays. And you teach art, obviously. How how yeah. do your students respond to you? I mean, you know, do do you are, do they sort of lift your spirits when you see somebody who's got a particular talent or do they drive you around the twist? I'm afraid it's more of the latter. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a few myths around um, around art teaching and art students and all that. And one of them is that uh, the school I'm in is a desh school and a lot of the students wouldn't be um, academically bright you know they wouldn't have their sights on 600 points in the leaving set or even 300 points in the leaving set yeah so just uh, just getting to the leaving set would be a an achievement for them so um they're weak at art they find they find lots of things difficult now they enjoy it uh, and they do they achieve the stuff but uh i have to lower my expectations a bit now every now and again they will surprise you and every now and again some of them will um you know, uh, really do something amazing. But um, art, I was drawn to art from a time as a child. I knew art was special for me and I had a special grasp of art simply because I'm a very slow reader. Mm. Now, I I read all the time, but um, literature for me, I don't, some of my friends are are, are very literate and they're writers and, you know, write poetry and all that and they devour books. Mm. 
but it takes me ages to read a book and um i love the instantaneousness of art you can i can look at a picture i know it's a, and as long as along with the title and the title is often just a word or a sentence um you have it you know and the great thing is it's multinational as well inter, you know multilingual because yeah the title can easily salvador dali's works or anybody's works from china or anything like that you just translate them in one sentence into one word one sentence into english yeah. and you've got the uh you've got the picture and the meaning and everything like that and it's instantaneous sure. yes 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 very interesting and of course you know i mean it's it's it, it, the, the visual is the international language so you know all you're doing is changing the title yeah yeah and i um, actually think that people mm. think in pictures um Mm. I certainly do. Um, before I worry, and dreams as well. But when I think, it's all imagery before uh, I say something. You know. Yes. Yeah. Um, for something completely different, um, I was intrigued to hear you saying when I said, "Oh, can we can we have a, a phone call on Tuesday?" You said, "Not gone fishing." Oh yes. Yeah, and I thought, "Oh, right. yeah." And well, that's one my other passion. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'd get a lot more work done if it wasn't for fishing. Now, I'm not as fanatical as I used to be. I used to be an absolute fanatic about fishing. I used to go twice a week, midweek, and one of the days at the weekend. No matter how bad the weather was, I nearly crashed my car on icy roads in County Monaghan going pike fishing in the middle of winter when I shouldn't have been. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do like fishing. It's the Mayfly for all, for, for your listeners. Um this time of year, well, it's just, it's now June, but it's still, it's never, it's not like a calendar month, uh, but there's a big fly that hatches on the legs called the mayfly. And it's a big enough fly for big trout to come up and take it. It's a big mouthful. It's a bonanza for the trout and it's a bonanza for the angler. So I went there, fish, I caught a nice one on Tuesday. Um, are you allowed to say where you were? I, oh yeah, Loch Sheelan. I was on Loch Sheelan yeah. in County Cavan. Um, and uh, I had a very nice time, and uh, now I've got it out of my system. I'm I'm going to just paint. See, like I was, we were talking to Catherine Green uh, two two weeks ago, whom I know very well, lovely woman. Uh, but she's competition led. She said with me, and many for me, as well as just doing my own work and working towards one man shows, maybe uh, solo shows, maybe a solo show every two years is sort of what I aim for. I am competition led as well. And um, this month, uh, June is mental. There's three major competitions I want to get an entry into. There's on post of the postage stamp design. I shouldn't be telling all these artists out there because they may not have heard about it. Now they're going to enter and it's compete too late. with me. It's too late. You're ahead of them. <laughs> I don't think so. I haven't even started the on post design. But uh, three, does it, I think the on post design is 15th of June. The Zurich. Portrait Prize is the 23rd and the OHA is the 25th. Mm. So it's just as well that I started the holidays yesterday. Uh, I had a good day yesterday. I was working on this, so a good full day in the um, in the studio. Yeah. But really, like after this interview, I'm just going to um, get the second half of my breakfast and then get cracking on this thing here. But really, um, June is mental now. I have three major... I, I, I don't think I'll even get them all done, but we'll see. Knowing you, you will. But before we go off the subject of fish, can you tell us what actually you, you caught? Oh, I yeah. Most I, impressed with. I, I should have maybe sent you a photo. I have a lovely photograph of it. It's um, it's a brown trout. It was about four pounds. It took a fly called the spent gnat at about 9 p.m. in the United States. The sun had just set. Mm. Uh, a lot of the fishing happens in the evening or even 
well into the night. Like I've been out in the lakes at one o'clock in the morning and uh, it was about four pounds. It fought like a demon and I put it back. Four pounds but is very it, impressive. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's, it's probably my third biggest trout. Yeah. My biggest five and a quarter. Yeah. yeah. Okay, listen, but before we go on and, and look at some of your work, okay, and then we've got questions and answers after. Um, can you sort of sum up, and I know Robert Ballard did in a certain, to a certain extent, but can you sum up what type of artist you are and what you want to convey? Okay. Without getting um, too philosophical. <laughs> well, now, um, okay, let me see, what would I be? I think I'm an artist who has... I'm not too. I'm not concerned with commercial uh, um, success. I want to do paintings that are, are basically social comment and reflect. They may even be a record of our times and a, a reflect my particular view on the times we live in. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes the subject matter is not very pleasant. That's one of the reasons why they, they don't sell sometimes. And basically, that's it. I, somebody who was just a, a, a commentator on, on our times and has somehow tapped into the zeitgeist. I, in, I, I'm trying to think of the words I use in my these terrible um, personal statements you have to send off to galleries. <laughs> but I would like to have a sort of, uh, mm-hmm. a, do a Baroque, uh, Baroque art of the 21st century and a sort of uh, anthropological um analysis of how our society is in, in a visual form. Now, that's quite a mouthful, but there you go. Well, of, well, very, um, very well. Yeah, no, that's very well put. Okay, let's, let's go straight over and have a look at some of them, because I know there's some great stories behind a lot, a lot of your work. Okay, Paul, can you see that? I can, yes. Okay, so this is coming up is your first one that you want to show us. Okay, oh yeah, that's the ambassadors. Um, hmm. Now it's it takes its name from the uh, the Holborn picture of the same name, a great uh, twin portrait hanging in the National Gallery of London. But basically, what happened is this is um, I was I'm hopeless. I don't even like sport that much, and I'm I'm there's no sport I'm good at. I'm really bad at everything. I rugby, foot, soccer. I can't kick a ball straight. I can't run fast. I can't do anything. I can't hit a snooker ball straight. So, but I do look upon people who are good at it with fascination, especially boxers, because it's a solo sport. You're going into a ring and there's a whole load of people going to watch you either box the head off somebody else or get your own head boxed off and lose. There can only be one winner. Yes. And so one uh, morning, I was actually late for work in Aircom in, I can tell you now the dates, it was October 2001. I was driving into work and it was late. So it was half nine, and Marion Fanukin at the time had a, a morning show on the radio, and she had these two guests on. And I had the radio on the car, and on came these bubbly, I couldn't see them, but these bubbly, lively girls with their lives in front. They were only 15 at the time, and it was Alana Murphy on the left there, and Katie Taylor, who we all know has gone, gone on to be a world-class uh, boxer undefeated as far as I know. So there they were. What The reason um, um, Marion had them on, they were about to fight uh, each other, uh, uh, make history by being the first girls 
to ever fight under the auspices of the IABA, the Irish Amateur Boxing Association, because there were no girls up to there had boxed officially in the ring. So they were going to box each other, uh, fight each other in the uh, National Stadium on Halloween uh, 2001. And uh, no, no need to guess the outcome, uh, Katie won. Now, uh, I was absolutely um, enthralled by them, just their, their spirit, and their toughness and the fact that they were trailblazers in a, a in a sport which is not considered feminine or anything like that. So um, I got onto the IABA and I got onto the Northern Irish equivalent and I got they both arranged to meet me. So I went down to Bray to visit uh, Katie's home and I asked her to take out some. I already had a design uh, in my head of the ambassadors. Um, so I made up this little double, see this little double, like two coffee tables on top of each other. Yeah, it's something like the the thing in the in the the Holbein's ambassadors. And I asked them to take out items that say something about themselves. So Katie had no end of stuff. She'd already won loads of medals in uh, fo- football and soccer and everything else. And then she had her her trophy from the win in the. Uh, the National Stadium. So uh, they got the paraphernalia and they stuck them there uh, on the, the, the shelf, right? And then I went up to the north, uh, into Sandy Row, which is the heart of uh, some terrible loyalist uh, uh, atrocities and all that. Sandy Row is a is a small inner uh, part of East Belfast. It's just a couple of, you know, two up, two down, red brick houses with no gardens, sort of thing you see on um, Coronation Street. And anyway, she was yeah. in her the gym. I met her manager and she posed as well. But you can see that her stuff, she's very much a loyalist. It's all red, white, and blue. Um, and the her gear is the, uh, there's a Northern Irish team, which is considered, you know, Rangers and all that. It's all stuff that's basically the Protestant side of the divide up there. Anyway, so the manager was telling me that she had to lose weight to fight Katie uh, uh, and she was at a slight disadvantage. She herself has joined the British Army and she's a boxing instructor in the British Army herself. That's where she is these days. We all know where Katie is. So that's it. I actually posed them separately and then the background is the judges' seats in the uh, National Stadium. At the time, they were just plastic chairs I think they've changed them since. And then yeah. I down the bottom you have the hood. You see the, the protective headgear. Yes. That's that represent that replaces the skull in Holbein's picture. So I, I did it. It's quite a large picture. It's uh it's o- over five foot by five, I think it's five foot by five foot square. Anyway, I, I got it. I, it was my first ever picture to get in into first submission to the OHA in 2002, and I got it in and was delighted with myself. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a magnificent portrait. Magnificent. Thanks. Yeah, I still have it. Believe it or not, since then, everybody's saying, oh, surely that was sold since um, Katie is huge. Uh, but I think the reason it hasn't sold is because it has a land in it. A lot of people just want um, uh, portraits of Katie alone. But uh, I still think, like, it, it is a record of the time. It's a record of a very important event. Mm. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. 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 Well done. Well done. Okay. This is called Overpass. Okay, and again, then it takes it, a bit of classical sort of themes. Oh, it does, yeah. No. Um, basically, um, one of the things I get from teaching uh, teenagers 
And you have to remember, teenagers don't want to be in school. A few do. You get the odd swat and all that. But the vast majority of teenagers, boys and girls, would much rather be out flirting and dancing and kicking football and whatever it is, going on TikTok. So um, a lot of them uh, don't want to be in school. And they have this energy. You know, when they're 14, especially boys, when they're 14, 15, and 16, they have this energy that, and you know, a lot of them are as tall as they're ever going to be. They're big, they're taller than me, some of them. And it can be, if it's not, uh, you know, if they don't have the right um, guidance in their life, it can be, you know, they can start running, mixing with the wrong crowd and all that. So they can get into big trouble. They don't have the empathy that they have. I do see a big change in them, like after TY, transition year, they come back and they're 17 and they're 18 and they're more, more like men. You can more like talk to them uh, man to man. And uh, But anyway, well, I was driving along the M50 under the Clondalk and overpass and somebody threw a brick and hit my car. So, and then I noticed that other people, there was actually a couple, I had to pull over into the hard shoulder. A couple of other people had been hit by the car. Now, luckily, I, it only clipped my bumper. Had I been going a little bit faster, it might have come through the windscreen. But I just thought, you know, how could somebody get a kick out of doing that? They don't, you know, do they really realize the potential? My, I had my kids in the car, you know, if I'd have crashed the car at 100 kilometers an hour, mm. perhaps the entire family would have been wiped out. So anyway, I did this picture based on it. Uh, I had great difficulty getting the composition of the fellow throwing the um, the uh, brick over. I actually had um, a fellow doing it straight ahead. And then mm. I came across, again, one of the good things from going to UCD was I discovered a lot of artists that I never discovered before. But I came across a fellow called Parmigino. And... Um, he had a, a sketch for, he had a drawing of a, a sketch for Moses with the Ten Commandments. Mm. And that was it. That did it for me. Uh, I liked the pose. And then I got my son to pose for it. And uh, he has a big stack of bricks. Like he's, 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 he's ready for business. He's going to get four or five cars uh, in the one go. But that's it. That's, uh, that's yeah. overpass. It, I think it has uh, a nice... The composition is called sort of Renaissance style, um, uh, sort of triangular and you know straightforward um, perspective and all that. And uh, again, it was quite a large picture, so I think it's five foot six tall by four foot. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that was shown in I think the two thousand and eleven or two thousand and ten RHA. I'm not sure which. I got a lot of publicity from that. That was actually featured in Noel McMonigle's What Lies Beneath in the in this Sunday Independent and all that. So really, yeah, uh, and it's sold as well. It's gone to a collector. Has it? Excellent. I mean, yeah. it's you, you can just the movement in it. You know, being on his tippy toes like that. Yeah, you, know, you, you can see the strength of what's going to happen next. I like yeah, and I, I yeah. saw down to Parmigianino. Uh, uh, I have to give ah, it go on, credit. Go on, it's yeah. to yourself. All right, let's yeah. move on. All right, and then. Um, is there a in theme running through here? Is there? <laughs> Beg pardon? Is there a theme oh, running through here? In many ways, it is. Uh, they, um, Overpass was shown. I had to borrow it back from the collector. I had a show in the Axis uh, Art Centre in Ballymore in 2012. Uh, it was called On the Road. And it's a bit like, I read that book by um, Kerouac, On the Road. And there's a whole lot. It's an, there used to be a magazine, one of these weeklies you could get called On the Road, how to do car maintenance and all that. But I found myself 
especially when I was working um, in a day job on the road, like, and of course, when you're doing a lot of fishing, you're driving up and down the country. And it's just a place where so many people um, find themselves, uh, you know, one and a half hours a day. That's why radio has made a big comeback. Uh, radio was on the decline with television, you know, yeah, the video killed the radio star and all that. And then what happened was more and more people are spending two hours a day, three hours a day in the community. I heard of one fellow who got a job in Dublin and he lived in Euros, County Wexford. He had a two-hour drive each way every day, 100 miles. But anyway, um, so they listen to the radio. and yeah, yeah, um, listen to the radio and they're also listening to podcasts. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a more recent thing. Yeah. But anyway, I decided to do a whole show around on being on the road and the various things you come across, including the abandoned petrol stations, which I haven't included in this lecture. But this is the ones, one of the ones I really like. Again, it's about youth. And, um, you know, the girls probably have not done this, but they, are, they find it amusing. Some of these cars being vandalised and they're just finding it amusing. Yeah. And perhaps they're suspicious. Maybe they know who did it or, or, or whatever. But again, there's an awful lot of um, my car has been stolen a couple of times. And there's a lot of vandalism uh, around. With car. Again, I just find this kind of mindlessness. Uh, I, I don't understand it. I, I just don't get it. It's very destructive. Me being a creative person. I don't really understand the mindset of a destructive person. So it's a bit, I'm a bit uh, mystified. Again, it's quite classical. You have cl classical columns and the composition is kind of balanced like uh, a Renaissance uh, uh, composition. So in many ways, my 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 time in UCD and get, really getting stuck in to the Renaissance, you know, having to do academic uh, studies of the Renaissance <clears throat> really uh, has stuck with me, I think. Yeah, good. Now, this is a diptych, I think, isn't it? Yes, it's part of a diptych. Now, they're very big. <laughs> I did this while I was in IADT in part of my degree show. And it was, um, they encouraged it to grow big. Now, the thing is, it's very big. I think it's, um, I think it's two meters by uh, five or something like that. I still have the, the diptych. It, it, it's very hard to sell a, a walk that large. But anyway, again, it's part of on the road, and it's also part of the theme that um, uh, I am interested in is basically class distinction and snobbery. And what I did with this one was <clears throat> I stood at um, – could we flip, flick forward to the next one, please, uh, and, and flick back to this then, just to show that. It's so I stood at the one place, which is Kilbarrick Fire Brigade Station, which is just there on that particular one there called Port Sutton is just there you can see the railings of it on the um on the right there and it was i did it in the evening time so that there's a lovely kind of light in it it's a bit more dramatic and uh the artificial lights begin to show up because i wanted to show uh, the so that the artificiality of the the world we live in you know with, with um you know uh it's just we don't live terribly natural lives if we were living a natural life we would probably go to sleep as soon as it gets dark Exactly. But anyway, the, what the full title of this is, um, uh, what's it called? Kilbarrick, uh, the townland that became a crossroads. And basically what it is, and the reason that's quite called Towards Sutton, and the other one was called Towards Rohini, is basically I live in Kilbarrick, which is the town that Roddy Doyle made famous in Barrytown. So my house is actually in 
two of the Barrytown uh, films. It's actually in the Snapper and in the, the Van. Yeah. But what I noticed is that with my neighbours and even myself, I was encouraged to change my um, address to say I live in number something something Rahini Dublin Five, not <laughs> not uh, Kilbarrick Dublin Five. Oh, so there's you're people. A terrible snob, Paul. Well, I not no, I didn't do it. You see, no, wait till we get on to the food pictures, and that'll prove it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh well, well, I'm a food snob, all right. But as regards <laughs> location, what I saw was my hometown, my area was getting smaller and smaller. People up one end, up the eastern end of my uh, of Kilbarrick, people say they live in Sutton. For instance, for instance, the entire estate of Bayside is in the townland of Kilbarrick. And there's a shop on the coach road. It's now closed. It's called Sut- it was called Sutton Dinghy Supplies. It's actually it's right next to the, the uh, graveyard, which gives Kilbarrick its name, Kilbarrow, the little church of St. Barrow. Oh. And uh, basically what it is, there was the only people who call who would could call themselves living in Kilbarrick were people right at this little crossroads, which is Kilbarrick um, Fire Brigade Station. Everybody else was saying they live in either Rohini or they live in Sutton, which is crazy, really yeah. stretching the boundaries of Sutton. Uh, um, so that's what that's what, uh, about. It's, it's really yeah. about uh, snobbery and class distinction. I, I remember dinghy supplies very well because they used to have a mannequin outside dressed in wet gear. Do you remember that's that? right. It was always but there. They were right next. They were about two kilometres from the, the boundary of Sutton. They were actually well inside in Kilbarrick. Before the morning, they were right next to the graveyard. I didn't where know that. Yeah. It takes its name from. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the sunbathers. I like this. All one. right. So another interest of mine, um, I do have a lot of interest. You know, I'm not just... Somebody who's obsessed with one thing or another. But uh, the environment is a big thing with me. And I feel particularly sensitive to changes in the environment because I'm an angler. And you do notice, uh, you really do notice climate change, how it's affecting things. It's affecting salmon. Uh, salmon are, you know, in, in big trouble. The mackerel uh, catches are terrible. Uh, and the seasons are changing. For instance, We've just gone through a very dry April. Now, all of you will know the expression, April showers bring forth May flowers. 20 years ago, April was a wet month and May was a dry month, <clears throat> beginning of summer. But the, the calendar has been rolled back, I would say, nearly two months. I mean, Eric, December can be quite a mild month. The lo- most likely month to get snow with these days is February and March. So everything, our season seems to be a rollback about at least a month and perhaps two months. So anyway, this is, uh, we're also getting extremes. We're getting, uh, you know, instead of getting gentle rain, uh, we're getting extremes of downpours and stuff like that and floods. And then of course, we were building on flood plains. And um, they, I remember my even my father saying, when he was alive, there was some building going on out towards Blanchestown in the flood plain of the River Tolkien. And he said, they, that, that, that used to flood in my, in my youth. And just because it hasn't flooded in 10 years, you know, it doesn't mean it's never going to flood again. And of course, many of these houses have been uh, washed out and damaged. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's what this is. Uh, it's a little ironic thing where uh, people take advantage of the fact that they're, where they're living is now uh, like a beach or, uh, 
you know, or a, play, a playground. And um, so they just go sunbathing. Why not? When your house is flooded and you're, you've lost your home, why not go sunbathing, you know? Yeah. When given lemons, make lemonade. Is that what they say or something like that? Can you see that? Oh, the companions. Now, this is a, a bit of a sad one, this one. I always feel a little bit sad when I look at this. Um, I'm also interested in language and the titles and the roots of words. And um, when I discovered that, um, you know, just the, the the titles are very important to me. Yeah, you'll see that some of them can be quite long. Um, so when I discovered that the word companion, you know, you have to be asked and looking for companionship. But companion means to eat bread together or to break bread, companion. The pan is the bread and the com is together. So I really thought uh, that's a that's a great word. So I asked my next door neighbors who are Italian immigrants. They run a chipper or they ran a chipper at the time. This is a few years old now. And I asked them to pose for me and I brought some bread with me and I brought different types of bread and different sort of baguettes and that. But we finally settled on a, a round little uh, loaf there like that. And the light and all coming in from the back has her has a uh, Lena is the woman's name, uh, semi silhouetted, and I just uh, I took a whole load of photographs of them and worked away with that one. I had to take a lot of I had to use composites because um, in the limited space of the kitchen, the only way I could get them all in was to use a wide angle lens. But uh, as we all know, a light a wide angle lens distorts the imagery. Yeah. We had to actually uh, use a 50 millimeter lens, but you you take several different photographs of them and sort of just match them again, again a little bit mm-hmm. like your way. And um, it was who made all the the the, the 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 paintings from lots of photographs. Uh, Hockney, the way David oh, Hockney yeah. would make yeah. the photographs together. Mm-hmm. So that's what I came over. But very sadly, Lena, the woman uh, breaking the bread. Three months later, she was dead. Um, she had a very, we didn't know it at the time, but she had a very aggressive form of cancer, stomach cancer, and she stood no chance. It just went through her, and she was dead within three months. So poor old um, Alessandro, her husband is a widower. And um, so that's it. Uh, that's the companions. I, I'm separated. My marriage broke up, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, not not half due to my obsession with fishing, I think. But um, uh, so they live. They live only a couple of hundred meters. Well, Alex lives oh, a couple yeah. of hundred meters from me. But you no, know, it's a house I, I used in my family home before I had to sell it and right. move to the pr- present home that I'm in now. Okay. Well, another thing I'm interested in, although it may mightn't come as a surprise, you know, is especially when you're teaching teenagers, is is puberty adolescence and the awakening of sexual interest and it's happening earlier and earlier i mean when i was a boy becoming a, a, a an adolescent then becoming a man i think i really only noticed girls when i was about 13 and i actually remember uh, noticing a girl i was working with this man uh, an, a door-to-door egg salesman and she came to the door to buy this. She was a little bit older than me. And she came to the door to, so I was 12 or 13. So she would have been about 14 or 15. And all of a sudden, I was transfixed by this girl in front of me. And I said, well, what's happening to me? I can't take my eyes off this girl. And um, so that was the awakening for me. But anyway, it seems to be happening a lot younger these days. Children seem to be 
um, sexualized. I don't know whether it's the internet or what, or whether what they're eating or what. But the, you know, nine, ten, eleven, they seem to show an interest in um, in the opposite sex or even the same sex if they're homosexual. So anyway, this is about that that time in your life when you're fascinated. You you have so much to learn. You discover, you know, girls have breasts, and uh, you know, you're just you're penis is more for just urinating and everything like that so that's what that's about and it's just a little bit of voyeurism and it's a little play with the uh, the model was wearing a leopard skin coat mm. and so uh, i just put a leopard skin in mainly to balance the composition it's the old renaissance thing coming out with me again but as you can see she's smoking a cigarette so the boy doesn't smoke but he says um you know if if uh, if it gets me a girl, I'll I'll uh, um, uh, I'll, I'll take a smoke and be a way to a way in to just have a smoke and give her a light and pass her over a cigarette, you know. Exactly. So that's yeah. what that is. It's, it's about the fascination with the um, you know the awakening of of sexual attraction in in youths. Yeah, very good. I thought I thought the the leopard was a sort of a a symbol of of strength and you know uh, not very attainable kind of thing. Well, it can be. It can also be animal, you know, animal attraction as well. It's yes. you know, one thing like that. It's, yeah. it's, there are base instincts in us as well, you know. Exactly. It's exactly. probably after a home, after a, I would try and put them in, or maybe the 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 instinct to survive is probably the greatest one. Then there's hunger and thirst. And then after that, it's probably sexual attraction is probably the, the fourth uh, biggest, strongest drive, drive in most people's lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very good. I, I like that one. Um, now this, sorry, I went, I went on a little ahead. Um, th this is the poverty line setter. Oh, yeah. Well, mm. I'm, I'm very proud of this one. I'll just tell you that I did a whole exhibition and it's still an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. I, I should tell your, yourself and your audience that um, I tend to work in mini series. For instance, the one we did about uh, the boy, if it take if it gets gets me the girl, I'll take up smoking. That's a mini that's part of a mini series that I just haven't got around to completing. But it's all there will be a whole series, maybe six to a dozen, maybe twenty pictures on that theme. And sometimes I feel I exhaust the theme and there's no need to return to it. But sometimes it's ongoing. So with this, um, I did a whole exhibition in 2017, again in the Access Art Centre in Ballymun, um, on uh, using secular icons. So there's a bit of a story too. Again, it comes from my time in UCD. And when you study the history of art, you're, you're often, there will be courses in the art that you, you've never done before and you think uh, uh, you're not going to like it. But I actually love Byzantine um, art. It's pre-Renaissance and it's pre-realism. And it's about, in many ways, it's a form of conceptual art because the idea is more important than the uh, depiction, the realistic depiction of the characters in it. For instance, you know, if you have a, a thing like Mother, the Virgin and Child with Saints, the virgin and child will often be bigger and the saints will be smaller because the virgin and child is more important. So that's the kind of thing uh, I liked about it. I also like that I'm a bit of a magpie. I just like the fact that they glow and they shine. And there's also uh, a 3D element to them. They're quite sculptural. I mean, the frames are very ornate. Mine are actually quite uh, plain compared to some of them. 
And uh, with that, it's it's great fun. And I also I use um, see those uh, see the two columns on either side of him. They're actually banisters of the a rich, house. They they were they are from banisters in oh, a yeah. house. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I got it. one of the great things about working in a, 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 a vocational school is that they have woodwork classes. So I was able to use the bandsaw. I basically uh, cut the. Uh, I got some uh, banisters. I, I had re- got rid of a, a banisters in the house that I'm living in and, and replaced it. And I basically kept all the. Um, the I still have them here. I've loads more. Uh, I kept every one of the, the the banisters. Cut them to shape. But then I had to split them down the middle. You see, to make pilasters. Yes. And yes. you cannot do that by hand. Um, I did the rest by hand, but no. So I just uh, the woodwork teacher in the school um, ran them along the bandsaw for me. So anyway, the whole getting back to the, the secular icons, I decided to do. I'm interested in, as I was saying, class distinction and and uh, society and anthropology and stuff like that. So I decided to do a whole load of uh, uh, icons with, with secular themes because I'm an atheist. So uh, the, that you know, I wouldn't be interested in doing religious subjects. But what I wanted to do was the same subjects, but from a secular point of view. So we're talking about ethics and morals and what's good and how to be good and what's right and what's considered right and all that. So there's all sorts of things that, that's considered right. I mean, what's the correct what weight to be, you know? You know, if you go back to the 50s and you look like Marilyn Monroe, you've got a, a, a big woman, she'd be a size 14, Corby. Then you get the, the skinny girl, Twiggy in the 60s. Then you get the size zero thing, which thankfully has gone out of fashion, these skeletal models going around. But we're being bombarded with ideas about, you know, what is, to, you know, what, what, how to be good, how to be a good parent, how to be this and that. So that's why I had the, um, the secular icons. So this particular character is a friend of mine. He's actually a retired barrister, and he, he looks the part. And I got him to pose um, drawing the poverty line. And I presume we've all heard um, when they're talking about budgets and the government is, is talking about, you know, planning and all that. We talk about so many people living below the poverty line or raising the poverty line or this and that. And you'll have the, the left wing saying we should have, you know, the pop should be continued further because of this and that. So this is all policy. So I just imagined a a civil servant, more of a civil servant rather than a, a politician, because it's, it's really the civil servants who make all this. Is just drawing the poverty line with a marker and they set it at that. There it is. That's how much you get in the on the dole, or that's how much tax you will pay. You know. Yes, yes, yes. And is, what what medium are you using there? Um, that is okay. I use both acrylic and oils. So what I do is I do the first part of the painting in acrylics. Mm. Um, all the framework and all the background is acrylics. And then I do as much as I can of the painting in acrylics. And then there comes to a point, acrylics are great in one way, the quick drawing, but the quick drawing has, is also a disadvantage. Mm. So what I tend to do is I do the underpainting uh, in transparent colors, usually uh, born sienna and born umber and then i in this one in particular i had to do uh the character the nearly entirely in oil because the suit the suit um has very it's kind of a nice shiny suit that doesn't have uh, that it's very difficult to do the 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 gentle um gradations of uh tone in uh in 
in acrylic, very hard. Sure. So yeah. he was the character is done in in oils. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. Yeah, that's me. I alluded to um, it's called before and after. And if any of you ever seen these slimmer magazines or slimming ads, they usually now they're usually aimed at women. Um, uh, I I feel sorry for women in that way because they're just bombarded with um how to, the right shape to be, and it alters all the time. I mean. Even recently with the Kardashians, there's this crazy figure that women are aiming for is a very narrow waist, a big bottom and large breasts. Crazy sort of stuff. It's just... But anyway, uh, it, it is also targeted. Men are also targeted. There's a magazine called Men, Men's Health. You often see it in the shops. And they're absolutely obsessed with abs. Yeah. You know, a great set of a six-pack in six weeks, you know, our latest diet and all that. So anyway, that's me. I'm a bit overweight. And if I'm going to point the finger uh, at somebody who's fat, I'm definitely going to point it at myself and be self-deprecating. I'm not going to point at somebody else. So anyway, I posed for this at the same time. I basically let my stomach hang out and then I held it in. And then I it's like somebody who's lost weight and saying, look, I used to I used to wear these trousers and now I'm in a much smaller size. But it actually they're actually taken within uh, seconds of each other. And I just show you that, that it's a diptych, um, a hinged. A lot of people, when they paint diptychs, they're basically just two paintings uh, juxtaposed. But this is, I love the hinged diptych. I've done triptychs and, and diptychs. And I love the fact that they can be closed or they can be displayed on a sideboard like that. Yeah, uh, Just standing up, uh, freestanding. So that's before and after. Yeah, very good. Um, I have to say, I can do that same trick, you know. Ah, well, you know what's happening with me, Alan? I can do it less and less. Every time I do, I'll have to, I'll have to lose weight because now the after picture does not look as slim as I the know. before. And the before one looks bigger. Yeah. Okay. So okay, this one been... size fits all is um, me arse. Again, it's a joke. And you, this is amazingly popular with women. Uh, a lot of... Uh, People have come up to me said women said they love it. Uh, but basically, it's the other side of the coin. It's the women. It's focusing on the, the, the enormous pressure on women to uh, be slim and all that. And, you know, women have babies. I have no excuse, but women have babies. And having a baby is a, a, a huge uh, pressure on the body. And um, so there you go. She's uh, bought a pair of trousers, and it's one of these stretchy ones. One who size fits all, and it doesn't. Uh, it it, it, it she can't make it, you know. Yeah, very good. Okay, I think this brings us to the the, the current exhibition, if we can call it that. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it just ended uh, on the first of I uh, started the thirty fourth of May, so just last week, last Monday, last week. it came down. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the title uh, picture of it's actually quite a small picture. It's only about uh, is it even eight inches by six inches? But mm. uh, it's a it's. I've been working this way since I was about 17 and it's to combine collage with paint. Mm. So basically if I cannot, um, could I get cutouts? I just paint the missing parts. So basically it's, um, again, I like playing around with language the same way I did with uh, the companions, mm. but with food fight, food fight when I was growing up was, you know, um, Maybe if you were at a, a party and there was a bit of leftover food, the kids would start throwing chips at each other or or something like that, you know, and there would be le little bits of leftover sandwiches or something and they it would, it would end up on the floor being thrown around the place. But 
for me, food fight is about um, a sort of a dystopian or uh, apocalyptic view of the world that, you know, at the moment, food is very cheap and very plentiful in the developed world. Um, in Ireland now that you can get, you can, I know there are some people who have find it difficult putting, uh, uh, managing the budget and putting food on the table, but really, if you look at the rates of inflation, if you look at the way um, luxury goods are now available at very cheap prices, for instance, in my local Tesco, you can get a strip line steak um, for three euros, two, two strip line steaks, 28 day matured, six euros, and that's not a special offer, that's every week. I mean, how are they doing that? Who Who is paying the price for that? Is it the farmer being cut out or is it the land? And I would suggest both. Mm-hmm. Um, enormous pressure on farming. You cannot, when I was a young flat, a 100-acre farm was considered a big farm. Now you cannot make um, a living on a farm that size. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, and then it's putting mm-hmm. enormous pressure on the land. You're having uh, pumping fertilizer into it. All those fertilizers are petrochemicals. We're going to run out of oil sometime. What are we going to do for nitrogen? So anyway, that's what that's what oh, yeah. food fight is about. Is about yeah. scarce resources, you know. Yeah. All right, that's lovely. Paul, okay. I know I'm probably chatting too much. No, no, no. You're fine. Okay. You're you're great. You're great. It's it speaks for itself, isn't it? Yeah. People will say, and then you oh, it's coffee to die for, or croissants to die. So I actually, just do it literally. They're actually this is the, the croissants are taken from. I think it was from. An ad on a, a Ryanair, um, you know, that in-flight magazine, or maybe it was the Bia magazine on Aer Lingus, and I just put them actually fighting for uh, the croissants, you know. I think the the idea of putting uh, or t- turning croissants into a hang sandwich is just defeats oh, yeah. completely. <laughs> yeah, but it, they can be savoury or sweet. That's the funny thing, thing yeah. like that. Again, um, the food. The burgers being stacked high. So I've seen ads for since then for even bigger ones. Like, oh, you're supposed to have to hold a burger between your hands. It's supposed to be a sandwich. Yeah. So they're stacked high, and then they're mixing beef with chicken and bacon and cheese and the whole lot. So yeah. I just did it that it's it, it's a. I just made a joke that it's a construction. It, the construction is a big, big effort. You know. Yes. 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 And then we're into the, the now you're exposing me as the snob. Um, I'm right. a, a foodie myself, so I have to have my hand up. I, I love cooking and uh, I love experimenting with new uh, foods and all this and that. So um, when quinoa came, uh, and nobody knew how to pronounce it. Quinoa, Is that with a K? No, no, it's Q-U-I-N-O-A, right? Yeah. So O-A, quinoa. Now, it's a Spanish word. It's quinoa. That's how it's supposed to be pronounced. But, no, you know, at first when we were seeing it on the shelves, it's quinoa or quinoa, you know. What, how are we supposed to pronounce it? Mm-hmm. So um, it's all these little anxieties that are associated with the new... Uh, now, the minor anxieties. How you own it? See you there. Hello. Good morning. The... Uh, you know, they're minor anxieties uh, around how, you know, can I get the proper ingredients? Yes. Am I going to poison my friends and all that? So there we go. Quinoa uh, mm. is that. And, and this one, again, it's language, but I love the way the Irish um, disassemble the English language. And, of course, um, uh, you have Beckett and Joyce made uh, uh, their, their lives work uh, that. 
But we have an expression in Ireland. If, you, if somebody's getting a little bit ahead of themselves, I'm sure there's, there's similar ones in other countries. Yeah. But I'd be interested to know, actually, if you have people from overseas. Uh, but it's like, if somebody says, you know, oh, you know what? You just can't get an organic coffee from Sumatra around here anymore. <laughs> and I said, look, it's far from an organic can, can, coffee from Sumatra that we were wearing. I know. So um, yeah. it's just that the, the, the way people often moan about they can't get uh, very, very unusual foods as though they're entitled to them. Yeah. So it's far from calamari washed down by a crisp dry white that we were wearing. And even the fact that crisp dry white, you know. Yes. And then here we go. How to pronounce it? It is me again, the snob, because. I happen to have Italian, my neighbours are Italian, Italian uh, relatives by marriage, so it's, it's bruschetta, but loads of people pronounce it bruschetta, yeah. and I just find that a little bit um, uh, grating, uh, especially TV chefs. I'm not going to mention the names, but there's one Irish one who pronounces chorizo, 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 and bruschetta, bruschetta. And uh, he's a TV chef, and he should know. He should know better. But anyway, uh, there it is. How to pronounce bruschetta? And uh, that was quite a challenge to paint, by the way. Uh, very, it's not easy to do tomatoes and and bread like that. And, uh, and all all oil paint. No, um, the tomatoes are oil. Now the background is acrylic. Acrylic, sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the funny a lot. I get a lot of praise for the. Oh, you make the wood look terrific. The wood is the easy part. Uh, the tomatoes were very hard to do and the bread was really hard to do and it took me two days to do it, and it was going stale and yeah. bits of it were falling off Yes, and uh, it was all I could do to get it done the way it's done. Okay. Well, Paul, we must ha have um, a word with Nevin Maguire uh, after this. We move oh, on to the next gave one. away the name, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Listen, um, that, that was fantastic. Thank you. And, and um, I mean, I, I just love your work. I love your work. Oh, there's people applauding there in the background. Oh, thank you. And Listen, I'm going, thanks. I'm going to read out a couple of the comments. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Marianne says, I think a lot of dyslexic kids are good at making things with their hands and or art uh, don't, who don't do good at school, but they are bright. Yes. Catherine, yeah. uh, on titles, there's a lot of untitled around, untitles around. Paul, does Paul agree that this can be a bit of a cop-out? Yeah, I think I, you have a view on that, don't you? I already alluded to that. Yes, I do. Now, uh, I really find Untitled uh, very irritating. The only time I would accept it is the very purest um, abstract art where uh, it might, uh, it might, somebody wants to do something that's purely abstract. Uh, say, for instance, a Rothko. Hmm. Now, um, you wouldn't Rothko wouldn't call his things clouds, or Jackson Pollock wouldn't give. He would say um, untitled number forty-eight, uh, something like that. But his 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 uh, his agents fed up with it because, and he, for instance, that one lavender mist is given by the agent and not by uh, Pollock. Hmm. But uh, generally, for uh, realist work, yes, I find it very irritating if they're untitled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I know you do, and um, you you pay a lot of put a lot of store in in, in titles. Um, Elaine says, yeah. "Overpass two thousand and nine is such a powerful picture." Yvonne says, "The themes are great, and the execution of the painting is brilliant." Yvonne, Catherine, Thank you very sun, much, yeah, Catherine loves the sunbathers. I love the sunbathers too. Great picture of the sunbathers says a lot. Uh, Yvonne, you're such a great raconteur. Your backstories for the paintings are interesting. 
Oh, I could talk. We've limited time. I could talk forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're very good. Um, Morland says, love your work. You're, you've really captured the general attitude of so many teachers perfectly. Great mm -hmm. sense of humor, too. Mm -hmm. um, Katie, my daughter, I love your work. Uh, she loves Quinona as well, or Kikuiruna. Um, Maafar on special airfods says Owen McLaughlin. Okay, Owen McLaughlin. Yeah, you know each other? Oh, yeah, yeah. Catherine, to everyone, um, I think you make a wonderful social commentary, witty and acerbic at the same time. Your ability and technical knowledge with paint is amazing. Great work, Paul. That says Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, Marianne, uh, love the food fight. Yvonne, as for Sauvignon Blanc, Irish pronunciation, super value. Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> right. I haven't heard that one, Yvonne, but I, I don't doubt you. Um, Tim Goulding says, what a breath of fresh air. Socially aware art and numerous too. Love the articulate explanations and what a, a technique to go with it. And what a technique to go with it. Um, thanks for that, Tim. Terry, Paul also teaches in NCAD and his teaching is fantastic. Keep up the good work, says Terry. Thank you. Estelle, yes, Paul's teaching in NCAD is top class, highly recommended. Aileen, thoroughly enjoy the program, love the paintings, explanations, never knew the meaning of companion before, nor did I. Uh, Malachi, pieces by a master of his art, lovely, yeah. Robert Kelly, great talk, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, All this Ian, praise, I'm not sure if I can handle it. It's, oh, listen, thank I'm, you, I'll print so it out generally. and send to you and you can read it in bed tonight. All right. <laughs> Um, uh, Liam Madden says, an enthralling hour. Aileen, sorry, I meant program, of course. Rupert, so glad to have seen your studio and then your work. Amazing. I can imagine you were surprised by the size. Yes, we all were surprised. Yeah. <laughs> How much you can produce in such a small space. <laughs> it's really, you know what, Alan, it, I, I'll have to sort it out. It's still, I mean, it, it, as a workspace, it's quite inefficient. Mm. It's efficient in one way, but it's inefficient in another. I know artists who are, well, they're almost OCD about how tidy their studio is. I know one artist, and he showed me he could do this. He closed his eyes, mm -hmm. and he reached his hand, and he can pick out a cut. He has his, his tubes of color arranged in a line, and he mm. can reach out and pick up a color with his eyes closed, whereas I have to go rummaging for them. I don't know where they are at any one time. I know. So sure. I waste a lot of time that way. Yeah. Uh, Eilish says, another great session. Thanks, Paul and Alan. Now, I've I've allowed you unmute yourself, aren't I nice? Um, so if anyone would like to say anything in person, either a comment or a question, all you need to do is unmute yourself. But please re-mute yourself when you've asked the question. Okay? So anybody like to ask a question in person? Paul, you're doing brilliant work, and we're all very proud of you. That's it. Good stuff, Oh, that's Marie. my sister, Marie. How are you, Marie? Yeah, Thank you. Recognise the voice. Yeah, okay. It's very, Thank very, you. very interesting, and it's great to get the, the background of the pictures. Really, really good. All right, so thanks, Marie. I'll, I'll, I'll call okay. down to you soon in Wexford. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, thanks. Marie. Bye. Thanks, Marie. Um, Carol, I see you're unmuted. Um, I don't know whether you can hear yeah, me or not. I can see you and hear oh, you. Hello, Paul. Oh, great. Hiya, Paul. See you and hear you, yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. And it was so, it's just so lovely to, to see one of the buddies, you know. Um, yes. It's just been such an isolating time. I'm down in Killarney, actually. 
And uh, I'm just loving it. I haven't had any headspace for about two years on my own. So I couldn't miss this this morning. <laughs> but you've inspired me. I'm filling up the car. Huh? It's great that it's being recorded because uh, I yeah. put it out and uh, a lot of people couldn't make it this morning, but they'll mm-hmm. certainly watch it on YouTube. Oh, you were down in Kilreely, guy. I am, yeah. You recognize <laughs> the background, yeah. I'm just, uh, wow. I'm just loading up the car to go out. It's the first day it's been uh, fine. I'm just loading up the car. I'll just give you a, a, a giggle look. <laughs> I don't know whether you oh can see God. it or not. Yeah. Are you so. painting on plein air today, is it? Ah, yeah, I'm going out for a bit of fresh air as well. I, I, I only, I only really work really well on plein air. Yeah, sorry, I don't want to take up time. No, you're grand, Carol. Did you want to say something there, Paul, before we move uh, on? No, to I was there uh, in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, well, the, the years I was on the dole, um, very happy years they were too, and uh, I had a great time down there. And of course, the fishing is fantastic. Just across, said- I don't know if you know it really, but it's a, it's a village where- on a strip of road and it's one, one side of the road is the village and the other side of the road is a field and then a cliff on the other side of the field and I, I would go over to the cliff and fish from the cliff and I would basically um, ask the fellow um, uh, artists I said, it was this good right this is how good it was how many mackerel do you want for dinner do you want does anybody <laughs> want a mackerel oh. and uh, I would just or, I would just catch fish to order if I wanted two pollock and 20 mackerel I would just, and then I'd stop. As soon as I get 20 mackerel, I'd stop uh, and uh, go back. Yeah, it's really good fishing. Very good. Um, Paul, have you ever caught any calamari? <laughs> well, yeah, I have caught a snake. I, I, I think you're, the, the question is a bit of a joke, but I have actually Wait. caught a squid in Irish waters. Did you? In, also in 2008. 2008 was a great year for me. Yeah. I, I was down in Kilreely for two weeks and then, I was in on uh, Oris Aina on Innes Ear for seven weeks, for the July and August and a bit of September yeah. in uh, 2008. So I was fishing on Innes Ear from in the harbour in Innes Ear and I was spinning for mackerel. And lo and behold, didn't I catch a squid? My I caught God. a squid. Yeah. A squid, a squid do live, we, we associate squid with the Mediterranean, but there, there's plenty of them in Irish waters. Other. And they're, they're predators. They they, uh, they 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 catch small fish themselves. Mm. So he, I was um, spinning for mackerel, and it took uh, my my lure. Yeah, fantastic. I hope. You, did you eat it? I did. Yeah, good man. Okay, Derek, would you like to say anything? Uh, just a very quick question: What percentage of your works do you reject as not being up to your standard that you see as being successful? Oh. Um, there would be very little, Derek, and I'll tell you why. I go through, a, we haven't really, there's so much we haven't discussed today, but I go through a process. I, 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 can you see this? Can you see me on the screen? Yeah. Yeah, okay. This is my archive of cutouts. Um, re- a little bit like Gerhard Richter's uh, archive. I have cutouts from magazines. Some of them are 40 years old, right? And I just go through, like these here. These were taken from the Radio Times about 40 years ago. They're cricket players. And I'm thinking of using them as um, as sort of like a, a praying mantis. But I haven't got around to... Um, uh, 40 years, I still haven't got around. So I have I've such a long time. I'm such a procrastinator. And it's, I tend to filter out bad ideas long before they 
uh, I actually complete them. So they would go through a sketch. I might take, for instance, those cricket players. I might try and sketch them up. Then I would draw up a little watercolour or something like that. And if it doesn't look good, I won't go ahead with it. So the ones that I do go ahead with are the ones that I'm pretty sure I want to uh, work with. And that's it. Uh, so it would be close to it would be close to nil. For instance, I'll give you an example. Hold on a sec. Now, here's one that's taken a very long time to do. I'm going to have to redo it. Talking about rejection. I have rejected this one, okay? This is one in the series about um, discovery of sexu your sexuality. Okay, two of my grandsons, actually, they're, they're, they're about nine. and uh, Two of my grandsons are looking through a hole, and they're looking at a an attractive lady on a scales. Now that's again, it's taken from a slimming magazine and she's on a scales and she's giving the thumbs up to the photographer that uh, she's happy with her weight. Okay. So I've altered it that uh, she's looking up through a hole in the ground, uh, like a, a ruin, almost like something in the Gaza strip or something like that. And two boys see her and she sees them and she's not, she's not sure. Anyway, I reject the composition. Isn't good. I don't like it. I, there's too much empty space here and the triangle is wrong and it's a bit tight down here. It's all, the balance is off. I was thinking of cutting the, the canvas down, but I didn't like the shape of it. So um, I'm going to actually have to rework that. I'm going to have to rearrange the, the, the same elements, the three, the two boys and the girl, but it's going to have to be, and there's quite a lot of work gone into that now and it's just going to be rejected. So there's one I, I, I have rejected. Uh, it's purely on the grounds of composition. The idea, I think the idea is good, uh, but uh, it's just not working out. So I'll have to... And I, I don't know how I got the composition wrong because I had been playing around with the elements for a long time. And then when I went to actually paint them, I, I, they, there's too much empty space in the picture, you know? So that's one. But very seldom. Most of the time, the, the filter... I filtered them out so that there's almost no, uh, no pictures that I would not like. Yeah, Okay. Thanks, Paul. And thank you, Derek, for that. Um, we're going to call it a day, I think, at this point, just one one or two quick uh, comments that have been made before I wrap up. Um, Owen O'Dunleg said, uh, I think Paul is one of our finest living artists and is not properly recognised. Millie, thanks, Alan. Paul, wonderful hours spent with you. Eileen McDermott Rowe, a real treat this morning, Alan. Paul is an amazing artist. And Sean uh, O'Brien, who we are chatting to, um, has given his email if you'd like to make contact with each other. Um, okay so that's great listen thank you so much paul it's been fantastic um, well thank you Alan. you're the one who has this uh, very nice setup the art as well it's quite it's quite a, an archive of information yeah yeah well absolutely and i mean it's all about learning from each other and i think that, that that's how the whole thing you know grew it grew from from teaching online um when when the pandemic started back in march 2020 and then it sort of outgrew itself and, and into looking at other artists who have more to give than i have um, and in a different way. So I think, mm -hmm. I think it's proved um, extremely valuable from that point of view. And I sure, from my point of view, I certainly hope it continues beyond, beyond this. But look, thank you so much. You've been ge very generous with your time and you have been very honest um, in your explanation about everything. And I really admire what you do. Um, so thank you. And thank you all for watching it. Now, next week, um, we're heading down to Limerick. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'll tell you his name on maybe Wednesday when I normally do. Um, but safe to say, he's one of his works or some of his works are on uh, exhibition in Beijing. Now, if that's a clue, 
it might be a clue, but say nothing. Anyway, uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. And Paul, thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks to all those generous comments as well to the, your listeners and viewers. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care. <laughs>